Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your uh, co-host, Stephen Spector. With me, of course, is Rob Hirschfeld. How are you doing, Rob? Hey, Stephen. I'm doing good. Well, your, vo- your voice sounds pretty good after all these weeks of events, and, uh, but it is starting to go a little bit, I can you tell. Are, you are hearing my vague, what people are calling Vegas throat? Yeah. Vegas throat. That is the appropriate thing. Well, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have rushed you while you're still in Vegas to do a podcast, but, you know, some people, when they call us and say, hey, let's, I have some things to talk about, we always want to make sure we get them on the line. So I am happy that we have the uh, CEO of uh casting is it i don't know naraj is it casting.io or is it just casting how do it's you do casting. that so it's it's casting.io is the website but the company name is just casting and thank you so much for having me here again really enjoyed talking to all of you both offline and on this podcast and hopefully it'll be another great show well I, i'm sure it will be so I, rob i only asked the first question to get it started before we disappear into some stuff, you know, we, we've done a lot of Kubernetes, pre-event Kubernetes, post-event Kubernetes. And, and so uh, maybe we'll start there in our eyes with some of your thoughts from uh, KubeCon, some of your takeaways from the event, and, uh, and then we'll kind of go from there and talk about some of the stuff your product's doing. Okay, um, sounds good to me. So KubeCon was exciting, right? So this was my sixth, seventh KubeCon. Don't even remember right now. Being there from the you know early days when it was just a few hundred or roughly a thousand people in the mezzanine level of a hotel to roughly 12,000 people this time. The growth has been amazing. The number of new people uh, that attended the conference was off the charts. I think this year stats said something like 65% of folks that showed up were new to the conference. Not always new to Kubernetes, but new to the conference. I think that is great. Um, we saw a lot of announcements at the conference. We saw a lot of vendors at the on the show floor. Um, there's always some risk of marketing hype versus reality when something like this happens when you see this rapid growth. But overall, I am actually very happy in that it's not turning into the next OpenStack. When you go look at the attendee breakout that thankfully the CNCF published, most people are real users, developers, operators. And yes, there's a little bit more marketing than I think matches reality, but it's all trending in the right direction. So very excited about the show this year in San Diego. What, what would it look like if it was becoming OpenStack in your mind? <laughs> So I think my most you know, ingrained memory from one of the OpenStack conferences, I think this was the one in Hong Kong that they had, was that it seemed to be just vendors talking to each other, right? The hot, heavy percentage of the audience was sales, marketing, business development. We had developers, but these were all OpenStack developers, not app developers. So I think we see that ratio shift into these are just mostly inward looking people that are already a part of the community and not real users or operators. I think that's the thing to be concerned about, not about how many platinum sponsors show up or the total list of sponsors. It's about the audience that is showing up and are we seeing new people um, at the conference? And I think that's a sign of health. So, I mean, there's two classes of people that you're describing. One of them is the, the Kubernetes operator, right? The, the companies, the people mm-hmm. doing that. And then there, there's actually, there's even another class because there's people using Kubernetes as a developer. And then mm-hmm. there's an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Can, you know, I, and OpenStack, definitely, we had serious 
you know, problems in the operator space is does Kubernetes even need to worry about operators? Uh, you know, there's all these managed services, you know, the cloud providers, you know, do it for you. It, you know, is Kubernetes operations a concern? I think it's going to become an increasing concern over the next 12 to 18 months, right? And we're seeing that with the more mature customers. And especially when you get past both the bleeding edge adopters of Kubernetes and you move into the more mature enterprises, and we see a lot of this at Kasten, as well as when you broaden the scale of deployment, when you're running hundreds of nodes across multiple clusters, sometimes we are seeing the operator group, whether you call it cloud engineering, IT ops, cloud ops, they have different names sometimes. That is re-emerging and for the right reasons. So I believe, right, I'd love to get your thoughts on this one too, but I believe it's gonna become an increasing part of the audience we need to focus on as a community. And I think, you know, I got some stats out of the folks at Cloud Native Computing Foundation. There were roughly 2,600 attendees at KubeCon that self-identified under the IT or the ops bucket. I, this, I agree with you. To me, there's actually sort of a, you know, a lot of it's being done for you. A lot of people want to sell you that. I'm seeing a, a explosion of managed control planes for Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. We certainly talk to them on the show um, where people manage it all, try and manage it all for you. Um, and, you know, OpenStack had the same thing where they were like, don't worry, we'll take care of it and ended up being a big consulting play. I, mm -hmm. I hope that Kubernetes keeps working on operability. Mm -hmm. um, and that to me is the, is the danger that we, we don't talk operability in Kubernetes. Um, and I do see that to an extent, like Red Hat is doing this, you know, they, they're doing OpenShift with all operators and it's Kubernetes, mm -hmm. managing Kubernetes. And maybe that's the right way to do it, but I have a tendency to be a little skeptical that, you know, Kubernetes has the right constructs to manage infrastructure. It's really about managing apps. And so I, mm -hmm. I do scratch my head about some of that stuff. Um, I don't know. Is are we gonna are we gonna improve operability in Kubernetes, or is that that already being sort of washed under the table? I certainly hope so, and I see so. Right when we talk to our customers, right at Kasten, we've been doing this for three years. I've been using Kubernetes since its pre 1.0 days, and a lot of the conversation has shifted. Right earlier, it used to be a lot of day one kind of challenges. How do I install? How do I get apps up and running? help me with that. And no one asks those questions anymore. Whether you talk about managed control planes, some of which is also what we do, whether you talk about the install process, you're doing some great stuff with bare metal as an example. So there's a wide range of things that customers can very easily do. But I think this is one of these things, but even though the role of the title might stay the same, the responsibilities are shifting. Now it's operators, what are they focused on? They're focused not on the infrastructure, but sometimes the applications, the security context around things, the users, the developers that are using Kubernetes. How do they make it self-service? It's not a ticket filing system anymore, but how do they expand use of these platforms? And I think the responsibility, the core focus of these groups has shifted. And that's, again, another healthy shift in the ecosystem because you then spend more time worrying about how it's, what you're doing is valuable to the business, not just technology for the sake of it. So I completely agree with you in terms of the points you had raised earlier. 
that it's not the old school style operators, but it's this new breed of folks that have different things on top of the mind as they build out these platforms for internal consumers. So, so from that perspective, I mean, that, this is one of the, the criticisms I've heard is that there's this wealth of sub projects, you know, in the CNCF that are for solving some of these operational problems, right? Secure mm -hmm. service mesh or network topology or data storage, right? It's, it's a constellation of these, these projects. And a lot of those are about operability. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what's, what's your feeling on this, this evolving ecosystem of open source around Kubernetes? Does it make sense to you? Is it, is it, is it healthy? Um, so obviously people gravitate towards where the growth is. Yes, a lot of these things tend to be financially motivated. But what we've started observing, you know, even if you leave aside open source versus close for a second, there are roughly two camps of folks in within the ecosystem, right? There's a group or other a group of products. So there's one side that is to borrow a term. Sometimes people have used the term cloud washing when people took stuff from appliances, physical appliances, and put them in VMs in the cloud world. It's not the right architectural fit, but it somewhat works. We're seeing the same cloud native washing in some sense where people say, oh, look, we're built for Kubernetes. We're talking about OpenStack. There were vendors at KubeCon this year that used to build OpenStack products and have ported that over to Kubernetes as an example. And so we're seeing some of that as people pivot from traditional VM-based plays into a Kubernetes slash container play. And then there are solutions that are built ground up for this ecosystem that is they fit the cloud native architectural patterns in terms of how they build, deploy, or are managed, how they work with customers. Is it you know, just an admin only thing a user can never self-service out of, or does it have role-based access control? And we're seeing that bifurcation within projects in the landscape, within products in the landscape. And that said, there's still a lot of marketing noise. So it's sometimes hard to separate those two in the eyes of a customer that's new to the ecosystem. Well, and some of it to me is, you know, these open source projects aren't necessarily products and something that's easy to use. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you see that shaping out is, you know, the, the, how do people know what to pick? How do they even know that it's going to keep working if they pick, you know, uh, the wrong project out of that list? It's not an easy problem. I think there was, for people that hang out a lot on Twitter, there were a number of conversations at KubeCon that said CNCF has a landscape, even as a roadmap through the landscape. It has incubating, sandboxed, graduated projects, but it is still complex to figure out how to combine these because of the reason you outlined. They are projects, not products. People care about not experimenting with technology at the end of the day, but building applications on top of Kubernetes and OpenShift. So how do you pick that? How do you have an opinionated view without suffering from the problems that Cloud Foundry did where it was too opinionated? Is something we're gonna to have to figure out in 2020. How do you make it easy for people to combine? Because Kubernetes consciously serves not enough to go into production. What are the essential components you need around it? And that's something we've also been thinking about. Right? We look at it from the perspective of the storage data management ecosystem. But there's a lot of noise in that portion of the world too. But how do you give people a part to what they want to do? How do you figure out from their perspective, right from the customer's perspective, walk a mile in their shoes to say, this is the right thing for you to do. 
And, but that's a challenge. No easy answers there that I can see right now. But I do believe we can get there. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. I hadn't, until you're describing it this way, I really hadn't thought about the idea that to do Kubernetes in a certain way, you know, and if I, if I wasn't going to sustain projects myself, which I'm assuming most, most commercial companies are going to need vendors, you could end up with a suite of vendors to do your Kubernetes install, which doesn't sound very practical to me, right? If you're building mm -hmm. Kubernetes and you're doing an application, you want the one, the one throat. Uh, to choke from that perspective for support. It has to mm -hmm. all work together. Um, and a multi-vendor scenario doesn't necessarily fit that bill, right? Yes, and I think this is why fragmentation is hurting us. And if you go look at the, you know, I like drawing parallels to the virtualization ecosystem. It's not perfect, but gives you a sense where in that ecosystem, you still have multiple vendors. You have people that do storage, you have people that do data protection, compute, um, we web services, routing, etc. So there are a number of different ways the ecosystem works together. And some of it's just our community is a little new and we're figuring that out as to how things fit together. But with projects and not products, we have seen a shift towards fragmentation where people say, I have this small control surface or this component is what I manage when really the solution should be larger or bigger, right? It's so, it's so talking about things like in MySpace, it's not about how do I do backup and recovery and then disaster recovery is a separate solution and copy data management is a separate solution. It's like, what do those things look like together? Similarly, right for networking where you have different kinds of service meshes, gateways, different routing primitives, whether the kernel level or uh, on top of that. But what does it look like end-to-end -end when you've built in security, when you've built in management, and when you've built in the core routing functionality? That's really what you should consume as a higher level abstraction versus smaller projects underneath the hood. Right, and I, I think we're starting to see that with these managed services plays, they're, they're doing a more integrated unit. But mm -hmm. it, you know, can you take us take a step back? You know, I, I really want you to explain what Kasten does because I think we've gotten to a point where your perspective, based on Kasten's objectives, is really useful for the audience to understand. Sure, we'd be happy to do that. So, for folks that are not familiar with Kasten, we are a company that is squarely focused on the Kubernetes and cloud native ecosystem, and we focus on making it easy for customers to build, deploy, and manage stateful applications. So think your relational databases, your NoSQL systems, uh, some of these are scale out, some of these are, you know, MySQL or Postgres that have been brought over. So you, we see many different kinds of workloads here, but how do you help protect them from the backup recovery, disaster recovery perspective, but make them useful from the CI, CD and cross cluster, cross region migration perspective. And really that's what we do. And what we again focus on is how do you make the customer's journey easy? Our focus is on simplicity and ease of use while being secure in a self-service environment. So at the, that's what we look at, but you're right. I like the way you're describing this earlier. So it's a managed control plane where you allow people to specify what they want to do, going to the desired state way the Kubernetes itself works versus you know, getting down into details so in a 500 component Kubernetes app, you don't need to say manage the secret or manage the certificate. You say, manage this application for me and make useful things happen. And that's the only scalable way we believe 
things will succeed in the ecosystem from the vendor and product perspective, from the customer success perspective. And that's what we look at right now. And it's been very interesting seeing the ecosystem emerge around this area. When you say managed for it, what is, how does somebody for, how does a successful customer for you, you know, get Kubernetes? How do they, they, they make it uh, sustainable? What, what makes a successful implementation or a successful customer user? Okay. So the way I think of it from the customer's perspective, I mean, in the grand scheme to take a step back, this ecosystem is still new, rapidly growing, lots of deployments, lot of success cases uh, out there, but it is still new. From the customer's point of view is, right, especially our customer tends to be the operator of these frameworks. It is, is my Kubernetes deployment growing? Not because I added more nodes, but am I seeing more applications? Am I seeing more developers take this up themselves when we offer it as a service internally. And that is the true measure of success. Am I seeing more apps, more production, mission critical apps in this environment? That is how they judge success. But at the same time, the flip side of the coin is the manageability headache of it. So from my point of view, and this applies not just to data management like what we do, but also for our service meshes, also for Kubernetes distributions is when you're faced with a multi-cluster world with hundreds of applications running around, hundreds of developers, what is my management overhead to take care of this? How do I make sure upgrades are smooth? How do I make sure it's not disruptive? How do I make sure my developers have, can move as quickly as they potentially can? And handling that is success, I think, from the vendor perspective in this environment. That is simplifying stuff without sacrificing security. Does that make sense? It does. I, I, I'm thinking through, you know, what a Kubernetes growth path looks like. And one, one of the things I've heard over and over mm -hmm. again is lots of clusters. Um, mm -hmm. And that was one of my takeaways from KubeCon was successful Kubernetes looks like people having lots of clusters in lots of places. Mm -hmm. um, how, how quickly does that become untenable or is that just what we're going to see? It's going to be, application specific clusters or lots more distributed clusters, you know, where, where do things go? So, you know, if you would ask me personally, I think I would like larger number of smaller clusters, but you can never argue with a customer, right? Or in this case, multiple customers adopting the same pattern. And then we, you know, started digging into them about why do they want to do this? What is the reason? In long story short, it was about PLOST radius, it was about security, it was around ease of use for particular applications and what the application owner cared about. And I think that pattern is here to stay. It has, it has benefits on the developer side, it has benefits um, on the sometimes even cost side of things, but it has pain points on the operator side. So I think this is why you're seeing both in the Kubernetes SIGs as well as what different projects, products all are doing is how to support this multi-cluster world because we're going to see that pattern over and over again. And while it's different than what we used to do earlier, I don't think it's a bad thing. It, it definitely is different. I mean, when I, when I start thinking of a cluster needing and now I'm going to use operators in the Kubernetes sense, right? Mm -hmm. it's specific operators and CRDs and a service mesh and other components and pieces that actually could become 
you know, a lot to manage if you mm -hmm. then have a hundred clusters. It is right. And you already, we see people running 50 clusters, 75, right? The recent customer we've been talking to and deploy that they have today over 25 clusters, over 200 nodes, and they're very early in their journey in terms of when they started adopting Kubernetes. So it's a challenge. Um, and we need to do a lot more to help address this. There is, so I don't think there are going to be easy answers here. Yeah, I mean, what you're describing to me is, is not a trend line that sounds sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. that, that type of complexity replicated over hundreds of clusters with hundreds of versions and all these projects with their own life cycle strikes me as you know an operational nightmare um mm -hmm. where does this go what's 2020 look like then from a kubernetes perspective and from a casting perspective so one of the big things we are focusing on is exactly tackling this so we've already done work in this so what do people care about here and this is one of these things whether you you know Leave aside what Kasten does for a second. We'll talk about that from the data management perspective. But if I was to pick service meshes, the problem is still replicated across all these layers in the stack. Security that's running within the cluster, storage that's running within the cluster. And I think what one needs to do is two things. First of all, the basic step one is give the operators, and these are the people operators or the cloud ops teams, the tools to at least monitor and alert on what's happening in the entire system automate that pain away, whether it be through Grafana dashboards, uh, Prometheus integrated with PagerDuty, doesn't really matter, but give them a way to get a single view of everything running in the system. So if you're building a product for Kubernetes, you better have those hooks for Prometheus to be able to get data out of you. And I think that's the basic. You start with at least visibility into what's happening and then you invest, and this is what we invest, we've already done a lot of that. For next year, we're investing in some of the things happening on the cluster API side of things, uh, where this used to be a part of SIG Federation back in the day. But the work that people are doing so that you make a change in one place, it percolates everywhere else. The concept of the supervisor cluster is showing up. VMware is doing stuff in the space with Pacific, as an example. But with these supervisor clusters, with these essentially command and control clusters, how do you do things in a way such that these changes are replicated? So you touch things in one place if you want to update a policy. It's global versus touching 200. And that's the way we're going to scale with these cross-cluster linkages that are loosely bound but give you a way of distributing changes. That's actually a really interesting point. Because what, what you're describing is effectively what all of these managed Kubernetes uh, providers are building, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe at some point those become, somebody's going to productize it outside of the, a managed service. But this, because every, I mean, that's what all of these, you know, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and everybody else, are, they're building a managed Kubernetes plane that, that synchronizes a lot of these changes. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're, I, you're right, that, that ends up being a thing. And that was my takeaway from, from, from KubeCon was everybody's building manager, you know, Kubernetes manager managers um, from, from that perspective. But I, I haven't seen any of them really turn around as products. Um, I, you know, I, I see that you're right, that Kubernetes or VMware is looking at doing that. Um, I had another question because you mentioned cluster API. 
which mm-hmm. um, if people aren't familiar with it, it's, it's a basically this idea that you're going to have a service, as I think it's an operator, that allows uh, the cluster to request cloud infrastructure resources and expand itself or contract itself. But, and I have a but on this, it, it just announced version 2.0. I mean, they're, they're literally cranking through new API designs every, you know, is it, you know they, they can't keep, one <laughs> O's dead, welcome 2.0. I mean, we did the mm-hmm. same thing with Tiller and, you know, Tiller died for Helm and Helm is now at 3.0 and much fanfare for that. But at the same time, it's like, all right, I, these are core tools Helm three is is almost a whole new thing. Um, is this endemic of Kubernetes, or does this stabilize? It will stabilize at some point in time. Three years from now, we'll all be on the same podcast, and we'll be, <laughs> we'll be talking about the time. thing that supersedes Kubernetes that everybody's <laughs> excited about. Oh what? no, Kubernetes is going to be here, right? Depending on who you talk to, it's the next Linux of vSphere. We'll just be reflecting on this rapid pace of change that happened here. And we'll talk about those crazy days in the good old times. But it, it more seriously, I think, so with Helm 3, there's been some API changes, but we are very happy. We see a lot of customer adoption there, and it's been mostly easy for them. Right, for us as a consumer, but even our customers as users of Helm 3. So I think the community is keeping an eye on the fact that the pace of change is unparalleled compared to other infrastructure movements that have happened in the past. How often when releases Kubernetes, new versions of APIs, how things move between alpha, beta, GA uh, within the Kubernetes community. And it is hard to track all of that. So pace and rate of change is something that is not exactly concerning, but something to keep an eye on, but it is hard for people to consume that also. So how going back to earlier your points about how do you package that up is a relevant thing. But I think it's I, the right thing for the community to do. I, to me, there's an element of pace of change, but there's, or in, there's, there's innovation and change, mm-hmm. which we often conflate, but are not always the same. Oh, um, I agree with that. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I, I like your, where you're coming to from this. And clearly customers, right, are saying this solves a problem that I have. Um, you know, there's, a, there's other things that it creates as problems, right? Observability is a big deal mm-hmm. um, created by some of these, these microservice architectures. Um, yep. But I, yeah. I think the thing to think about here is that if you take a step back, some of us are in deep within this community and we see all of this happening and it's very quick and we feel believe it's representative of the broader world out there but cloud native architectures cloud native platforms have taken over a very small fraction of the infrastructure market today and the community is saying what hard decisions do we make right now for broader and greater success of Kubernetes. So it's still around five years from now or 10 years from now. Instead of slowing us down too much, but it's also at the same time, people are being cognizant about the pain people might feel on the other end and how to reduce that pain as this change happens. Interesting. So I was reading, I forget, there was one of these other CNCF projects where someone recently ran an experiment where they actually step upgraded across 15 versions of a product 
and it all just worked. I mean, this was a stateful service too. Mm. And it just worked. So people are paying more attention to reducing the cost of upgrades for everyone. Not always possible. For example, OpenShift 3.x to 4.x has proven to <laughs> yeah. be a little hard for some customers out there. It's a totally different architecture in what they do. So it, that's, a, that's an end of the road, new road uh, upgrade as far as, I, yes. as far as I can tell. I mean, the, hopefully the data, the XC, X, X, XCD uh, data and the clusters and the pods will, will migrate over, but the, the underlying what they do and how they do it, very different operational models between those. Exactly, right? But I think that's more of an exception than the rule in this community. So that's what makes me a little happy. Otherwise, yeah. because you don't want to strand the people that were responsible for your early success behind you in the interest of expanding outside. And so we're seeing people take care of both constituents, the I, folks I, that are new and folks yeah, that have I been here for a while. I, I see that working with Kubernetes and uh, people do try and preserve APIs. At the same time, I, I think a message that's possibly useful at this point in the community is, some of these smaller projects and supports, we're still working out the details and you're going to expect them to go through revs. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the problem I always have, and this is just an, my, one of my issues with open source marketing, is that we have a tendency to market a project as ready, complete, done, and then the next th quarter say, oh, and by the way, we, that, we, we stopped that release and now we're on 2.0, 3.0. And, um, you know, and, and so I, I get some cognitive dissonance from this idea that, um, you know, we, we market that we've got it figured out to make it attractive and interesting. And then, you know, the next month, sweep that under the rug and, and release a new version. By the and way, Kubernetes I, isn't unique about that. That's an open source. I, I never problem. did that ever. I just want to say, <laughs> I, it is not, I just want to say that when OpenStack Bear came out, I was told it was ready to go, so I promoted it. And then by the time we got to Diablo, I realized that no, that wasn't the truth. So yeah. I can't be held responsible for getting people excited I, I, about and, something. And Stephen, and Stephen, my hands are not as clean. <laughs> um, I will, I will, if somebody's going to send me hate mail saying you did that, I'm like, yes, I did. And I regret it and I own it. And I, I, it gr makes me grind my teeth when I watch it happen. But Stephen, you coming in is usually the sign that we are at the over, end. but over time. Well, this was a good conversation and, uh, I, you know, it was really good. Uh, Naraj, if people want to get a hold of you more about your company, where should they go? Okay. Uh, you know, you can always find me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Neeraj Tolia. That's T-O-L-I-A. Uh, Kasten, about the company, just go to Kasten.io. That's K-A-S-T-E-N.io. Would love to hear from you about anything we spoke about or what you're doing with Kubernetes. And I know that... To be here today. Great. And I know that event season is dying, but at the same time, it'll start. Are there any events you guys have planned for maybe Q1 next year you can highlight? So if people are going, they'll know to look for you. Sure. So we're going to be there at the Red Hat um, Summit early next year. Also, we're going to be at KubeCon in Amsterdam. So if you look at the first half of next year, those are a couple of the bigger events we're doing. And there'll be smaller things along the way, too. Well, there you go. Events never stop, Rob. It's not, yeah. I mean, I, 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 and I know we had a conversation a little bit 
recently, Naraj, to get your thoughts. We talked about there just being too many events and there, and this whole idea you have to travel all over to events. And we were trying to mm-hmm. figure out a solution is how could you have an event where people could go local and still mm-hmm. engage to be part of a bigger event without having to fly everywhere. So we're, we've been thinking about that. Um, so if you ever come across ideas, let us know on how to do that. I'll definitely drop you a note. Because <laughs> it is is just too much. Well, anyway, thank you to both of you. Great uh, podcast and and our continuing Kubernetes. I think Kubernetes is so hot, Rob. We just have to keep talking about it, and uh, it is dominating our podcast, which is good. If you're a listener and you like that, tell us. And if you're a listener who wants to hear something else, uh, as always, reach out to us and let us know. Thanks to uh, both of you, and uh, we'll talk again soon. <laughs>